0: I'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8. Returning to Paul's magisterial chapter in the book of Romans, Romans 8. And we'll be considering verses 12-17 through under the heading of heavenly adoption. Heavenly adoption from Romans 8 beginning in verse 12. God's Word says this, So then, brothers... father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him here ends the reading of god's word this morning may he add his blessing to it a beloved congregation in the lord jesus christ when our Lord sat upon the mountain in Matthew 5 and taught His disciples to pray, Our Father, He radically shifted our relationship with God Almighty. Sinclair Ferguson notes that one of the things that makes the New Testament new is that men and women call God Father. Father. You see, references to Father God as Father in the Old Testament are exceedingly rare. But in the New Testament, there are more than 200 references to God as our Father. The conviction that you and I can call the Maker of the universe by such intimate terms lies at the heart of our Christian faith. And in Romans 8, Paul teaches us that we are brought into the family of God by heavenly adoption. Did you know that adoption could be considered the apex and the goal of all redemption? If you flip just one page over to Romans 8, verse 29, Paul says that the whole purpose of creation, the whole purpose of God's election, the whole purpose of the cross and our salvation is adoption. Verse 29, "...those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." Don't miss this this morning. Christ came that He would be the firstborn of the family and so that you and I can be adopted. Now one of the things I love about our church, Trinity United Reformed Church, is that many of you moms and dads have adopted children. As many of you know about me, uh, my little sister... Is adopted. After having three boys, my parents said, We will not play this lottery any longer. We will just adopt a girl. And for those who have experienced adoption, we know that an adoption is not just a change in status and a change in your last name. But myself, as the older son, when we adopted Megan, everything I had, she was given. I had a room in my parents' home, and when she was adopted, so did she. I had a a place at the family table, and when she was adopted, she got a place at the family table. Children, adopted children, get the same rights as the elder brother. But this isn't the only benefit adopted children receive. And this is what Paul is getting at in Romans 8. That in adoption, children learn that they are loved. You see, adoption cultivates in the child an affection and a confidence towards their parents that they never had before. So that when an adopted child comes to their father and says, Daddy, for the first time, There's a whole new intimacy. There's a whole new confidence. There's a whole new love that comes with being part of a new family. And so does the New Testament describe your relationship, my relationship with God. That in adoption, we become His sons. His sons daughters. His freeborn children who are given a new assurance and affection to the Father. That's our theme for our time together this morning. The spirit of adoption cultivates within us an assurance and an affection to the Father. I want to show you this in three points and uh, all things made plain. Uh, This was Sinclair Ferguson's outline, but I thought it was just perfect, so I'm using it Old family ties broken, point one. The new family joined, point two. And new commitments made, point three. Notice with me first, old family ties broken. Let's give our attention to verses 12 and 13 where Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live. Now, Paul is dealing here with the subject of adoption. And this is clear by how many related terms he uses. Look at verse 14 sons of God, verse 15, spirit of adoption, verse 16, children with God, verse 17, heirs of God, heirs with Christ. Paul is speaking about adoption. And adoption would have been familiar to the Roman Christians. Scholars seem to have concluded that we don't really actually see adoption in the Old Testament because of the way the family life was structured. But by the time of the New Testament and the spread of the Greek-speaking world, we know that adoption was prevalent in that Roman legal system. Now, in order to understand today's sermon, you must get what I'm about to say. Because in the Bible, sonship is both a created and a legal act. It's a created and a legal act. And it seems that the way of somebody becoming someone's son was not just that they were born to you, but then they had to be chosen. We actually get an allusion to this in Psalm 2, if you want to flip to it, where the Lord is speaking of the King of Jesus, King Jesus, I should say. And it says in Psalm 2, verse 7, The Lord said to me, Today you are my son. I have chosen you, or begotten you. And so what would happen, we believe, is that when a son was born to a father, They would take that little baby from the mother and they would place it on the knees of the father. And as that baby is sitting in the laps of their dad, that was that legal act of not only the creation of a child, but also the being chosen as a child. You needed to be born and you needed to be placed as a son. Well, you say, why is this important? If you look at verse 15 of Romans 8, where Paul uses the word adoption, the term is actually two words slammed together. It's a compound word. The first word is son, kios, in Greek. And the second word is placed, tethemi. This gets at the idea that to be a son... You need to be both born and placed. And both elements are true in our life with God. That's why Paul begins with, so then, in verse 12. Connecting it to verses 5-11, through 11, which we looked at a few weeks ago. So then, referring to this important teaching about the Holy Spirit dwelling in you that if the Holy Spirit is in you, you have been reborn, so to speak. Isn't that what Jesus says in John chapter 3? You need to be born from above. You need to have a rebirth. And when you're reborn, you come to share in that new life that Jesus brings, the new heavens and the new earth. You're alive. That's how you're born into the family of God. When the Holy Spirit regenerates you. But we come to an interesting caveat here. You see, it's common in our day today to speak of everybody, this whole world, as God's children. Right? Is, are you saying, Pastor, that God is not the Father of everyone? Well, it's not me who's saying it, it's Paul who's saying it. So get mad at him. Now there's a general sense in which everyone is God's children, because God is the creator of all. Paul speaks about this as being God's offspring, red and yellow, black and white. Yes, all children are precious in God's sight. But Paul is saying that the reason we need to become part of the family of God is because by nature, we're not part of the family of God our family by nature is actually wrath remember paul says you are children of wrath we are children of the world we are children of the flesh we are children of the devil we need to become children of god and the reason i say this is because in adoption you have to remove yourself from the old in order to join a new family. See, sometimes you will hear stories of parents who give their children up for adoption trying to get involved in their children's lives again. Or in some cases, if the child comes into financial success or worldly success of some sort, they might try to regain parental lives or parental rights. And Paul is reminding us here that your old family wrath and slavery to sin the world the flesh and the devil are trying to get back into your life look what paul says we are debtors and children there is nobody more you are more in debt to than your parents but children adopted children are not debtors to their birth Parents, once someone is adopted, their birth parents have no legal claim on the adopted children anymore. Paul is saying that our original parents, the flesh, Adam, wrath, and sin, no longer have any valid claim on you. In adoption, we surely are debtors, but we are not debtors to our old parents. Octavius Winslow puts it this way, Do we owe anything to sin? The parents of all our woe? Nothing. Do we owe anything to Satan who plotted our temptation and accomplished our downfall? Nothing. Do we owe anything to the world ensnaring, deceitful, and ruinous? Nothing. To be adopted into God's family means that the old obligations to the family of old are cancelled. One professor notes this that the profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of their previous state and placed into a new relationship. All of his old debts are canceled, and in effect, the adoptee starts a new life as part of a new family. Old family ties are broken. But Paul says, verse 12, we are debtors. To whom? Not to the family of old. He says, we are debtors to our new Father. We are debtors to our new Father for His electing love. For the covenant of grace. For His unspeakable gift in bringing us into His family. We are debtors to the elder brother, the Lord Jesus, who is the active agent in our redemption. And we learn how much this cost Christ, who in the Gospels always referred to God as His Father, except one time when He was on the cross, when He cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? We have been welcomed into God's family because the Son of God was forsaken by His own Father. You are born by being made new in the spirit of God, but you are placed in Christ. And it is as if God takes this little child in the babe of spiritual infancy. And Jesus takes that little baby and places it on the knees of God the Father Almighty. Our former obligations are canceled. Not nullified by divine fiat, but rather because our debts and all the old obligations of Satan, this world and the flesh, have been placed on the elder brother. He took the bill of debt and He nailed it to the cross. So when we are adopted into God's family, it is only through Christ at an infinite cost to Himself. This is why Paul says, you must be born and placed. And so we are debtors. In the 18th century, a Baptist pastor put it this way. And I think it's so poetic. He says of Christ, Thou hast borne my sin, endured my curse, extinguished my hell, secured my heaven. Thy spirit was wounded for me. Thy heart bled for me. Thy body was bruised for me. For me, thy soul was stricken. For me, a sinner. The chief of sinners. But he goes on and says, I am thy debtor. A debtor to thy dying love. To thy eternal discriminating mercy. Surely an eternity of love and service and of praise can never repay Thee what I owe Thee, Thou blessed Jesus. Taken from an old family and given to the new in Christ. And so you see that adoption can bring, heavenly adoption can bring quite a bit of conflict between the old family and the new family. See, the purpose of adoption, even here on earth, is that we would provide security for children who don't have it. Provide them a bed, food, love. But when two families fight over the rights of children, that child begins to be pulled in two directions. And I have personally seen situations where children think that their old family is naturally where they belong. I don't belong to this new family. I don't look like them. It's not my blood. I belong back with the old. And so it is with Satan. He wants to win you back to the old family. He says, look at what the Father's given you. All He's given you is trials and difficulties and chores. He doesn't love you. He's using you. Or maybe most prevalent, He says your brothers and sisters are better than you. You're the black sheep of the family. Satan may tempt you in this way, but you need to remember this morning that the issue is never in doubt no matter how ostracized you may feel from the family of God, no matter how much Satan wants to try to draw you back to the old family, God owns your legal rights. You belong to Him. Not just because you were born into His family. He chose you. And I want to address this morning The adopted children in our midst. If you're getting you're getting to know me and I have a soft spot for adoption. I want to say something that I'm not sure my sister ever heard publicly said. She heard it privately, but I don't know if she ever heard it publicly. But you are doubly loved. not only once were you born which is an act of love but you have also been chosen a second act of love i can remember as a young boy when we went to the court and i and adopted my sister it was just as emotional my parents said as birthing the first three it was just as special it was just as life-changing as those born of blood. Not only was she loved once when she was created, she was loved twice when she was chosen. And so it is with God in Christ. We are reborn to a living hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that in Romans. But then through Christ, our elder brother, God chooses us. And so, those old obligations need to cease to that family who has rejected and spurned and beaten us, and we need to join the new family. Now, it bears repeating that the subject Paul is addressing in Romans 8, we move into our second point here, the new family joined, the whole chapter of Romans 8 is about assurance. Assurance. Remember that the chapter famously begins, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it ends with that there is no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's about assurance. John Calvin says the substance of the chapter amounts to this, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. They are heirs of eternal life and they ought to be assured of eternal life. And Paul says one assurance that we have the Christian life as that we join a new family. And so we see here that Paul moves on in verse 15 14 and 15 excuse me to show us that adopted children are given a new image. See beloved, we need to have a biblical self-image. And Sinclair Ferguson again says this that the Christian self-image begins with our Father. That the true identity of a Christian is that I am one of God's children. The Apostle John expounds on this in in his epistle, 1 John 3. He says, Beloved, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. You see, what lies at the heart of the Christian faith is who you are before God. But we need to live in this identity. As Christians, oftentimes we can fall into the trap that the Christian life is one of performance, pedigree, and popularity. But Christian, you need to hear this today, that adoption doesn't depend on any of that. In fact, commentators think that the background of Paul's teaching here is Exodus chapter 4. That as God has taken Israel out of Egypt, He's led them by the pillar in the wilderness, pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness, we read that God made them sons of God. Was Israel worth this title? Did they earn their identity? No, they were adopted and given freely the title of sons of God. Now, allow me to address the ladies in the room for a moment. Don't be offended that God calls you a son here. Remember that in the ancient world, to be the eldest son of a king meant that you were the heir to the throne. To be the eldest daughter of the king meant you were going to be married off as a political move in order to gain favor with a neighboring nation. You would be one wife of probably hundreds. It wasn't a great life. Paul is not saying here, by calling you sons, that gender is destroyed in Jesus, But what he is saying is that the daughters of God are given the same privileges, the highest privileges that the sons of God are given. And the greatest privilege Paul draws your attention to this morning is that not only are you given a new identity when you are adopted, you are given a new intimacy when you are adopted. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, boy or girl, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, in Judaism, men rarely, if ever, prayed to God as Father, and they certainly never use that intimate and affectionate term of Abba. Yet, this is the way that the Lord Jesus normally, almost exclusively, addresses God in the Gospels. And it infers intimacy between the first and the second person of the Trinity. While I was in seminary, we always referred to our professors as doctor or reverend. I never once heard somebody say to the professor their name. But what an honor it was when, I was when I sustained my exams and graduated and took the call here to Trinity and was ordained, when one of my professors said to me, Jacob, you no longer need to call me doctor. You can call me by my name. It's a privilege. But that privilege pales in comparison to what we have here. Christ is saying, by teaching us to pray our Father, you may now speak to God as I speak to Him. You have the same access that I have to Him. You have that same sense of intimacy and the same assurance that He loves you. And as surely as God the Father loves Jesus Christ, so surely does God the Father love Jesus' brothers and sisters. The language of the New Testament shows us that the intimate relationship between the Father and the Son is now shared with all of His people. If you are a son of God this morning, by faith, you may call Him Abba, Father. Now, what does Abba mean? There is considerable debate about this. And I'm going to just say this morning that Abba does not mean irreverence. Sometimes people translate this term as daddy, uh, but I don't really think that it gets to the sense of what's being Spoken here. Because when I hear the word daddy, I think it's dulling his sovereignty. And in some ways, it might be lessening his severity, his authority as father. As if God changes in Christ from the sovereign God to a big teddy bear God. Again, I think Winslow is right when he says Abba Father simply means My Father. It could be translated as Dear Father. In praying Abba Father, we must recognize that He is still the Lord God Almighty. He is the Creator and the Sustainer of all things. But out of love, He admits you to the closest of intimacies. That God, the God of the Bible, holy, 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 is your Father. That's what Paul is saying. And this is better than a commonplace daddy or teddy bear. Because that God can care for your every want, your every anxiety, your every grief, your every burden that you bring to Him as adopted children. There is nothing outside of what He do now when Paul wrote this we estimate 15 to 2,000 years ago 1,500 to 2,000 years ago he says you can call God my father dear father Abba father and people today can still use those terms Because he has never relinquished his right to be the father of the faithful. Paul's parents probably died at one point. His earthly father would cease to exist on this earth. And Paul says, I still had a father in heaven. Maybe people in this room may have had a father who has forsaken them. Or a mother whose love has failed. In Christ, you still have a father. Maybe you are an orphan, an adopted children. You have a heavenly Father. Though mother and father forsake me, God never will. We are all the adopted children of God. And He will be the Father of the faithful until the end. Well, let's conclude with our third point here. There needs to be new commitments made. But before we conclude, I want to consider that term spirit of adoption. What does it mean? Well, spirit, I think, obviously infers the Holy Spirit, refers to the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. But second, adoption, you'll remember, refers to being a son and being placed he's combining these two ideas to teach us that the spirit of adoption is the one who brings us this persuasion that we really are the sons of god the spirit does something in our hearts he causes an effect to bring to bear so first i want you to want to show you that the spirit of adoption brings assurance we read, he, the spirit of adoption bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We actually confess this in Lord's Day 1. Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. And the word witness here in Romans 8 refers to the fact that adoption was often a public event. That like today, the Roman system, adoption was performed before witnesses. And those witnesses were at a later date able to give testimony to the fact that someone was in fact adopted. And you see, Satan wants to contest God's claim over you. Satan wants the legal right to be your father. But the Spirit bears witness that you belong to God. Note that the witness of the Spirit is related to the cry. Paul says it's by the power of the Spirit we cry. Abba, Father. You see, in this cry for help, the Spirit is bearing witness that we are the children of God. So in your moments of fear, your moments of temptation, your moments of believing the lies of Satan, all we must do is cry out, My Father! Our Father. For the Spirit brings that to mind as a means of assurance that we belong to Him. Paul also makes it clear, our second point about the effects of the Spirit, is that the Spirit is the one who helps bring uh, sin to death in our lives. Verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The logic here is that the power to kill sin is actually in the power of the Spirit. When you're adopted into a family, the law of the family typically is the Father. And so it is here as well. That in the family of God, the family law comes from the Father, but the power to obey comes from the Spirit. Finally, we see The ultimate purpose of adoption. The Spirit brings assurance. The Spirit brings death to sin. But notice this the Spirit brings us to glory. The ultimate purpose of our adoption is so that the Spirit could lead us to heaven. The writer of Hebrews says the whole purpose of Jesus' coming, his suffering, and his dying was so that he could bring many sons to glory. Hebrews 2, verse 10. And so God sends the Spirit of adoption to make us children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is God's purpose in adoption. That Christ would be the firstborn among many brethren. So that when Christ comes again, and the Father and the Son and the Spirit dwell together on the new heavens and the new earth in perfect harmony, in joy and the blessedness that knows no end. The blessing of that covenant will be fulfilled in us. See, one of those final promises of the Bible in speaking of heaven is in Revelation 21. He who overcomes will inherit all this, speaking of heaven. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. God sends his Spirit to his adopted children to assure them of his salvation, to put to death sin in their hearts, and to lead them to heaven. Where we will stand in the presence of all the saints. Not as servants. Not as lowly workers in the field. Though that is what we are. But He opens the doors of heaven. He leads us to His table. He gives us a seat. As His sons and daughters. We are all adopted children of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are always faithful. And that even though we often are weak, even in our parenting, and that in our lives, our parents, our earthly parents, may even forsake or forget about us. Father, you promised that you never would. And your spirit is here in our midst, giving us the ability to cry out, Abba, Father, my Father dear Father, in the person and the work of Christ. We thank You for Him, our elder brother, who laid his life down. And we pray, God, that You would bless us this day as Your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.